want to spend time thinking about um, dealing with rejection and the whole question of anxiety and worry. It's huge amounts of anxiety, worry, and rejection in our culture. And so, uh, as I said right at the beginning, if Jesus can't make a difference in our lives day by day, there's not much point. And uh, much of religion has caused us to settle for far less than what Jesus went to the cross to release. If I was Jesus, I wouldn't have gone to the cross for what most of us cash in. I'd say, there's no way I'm going to go through all of that for this. He is a revolutionary. Uh, He is much, much greater, much, much more powerful, much, much more effective than uh, we know. But we will never know what he can do in us and around us and through us uh, if we don't allow him to. And if we set the agenda, which is what religion teaches us to, and to keep a very slow, uh, a very low expectation, then that's what we will have and that's what we will experience all our lives. And so my prayer is that uh, we will be encouraged to believe for much more. And uh, that we will pursue for much more. And in this um, section we're reading out of Luke today, it's about when Jesus uh, weeps over Jerusalem. And just before that, he's, we've spent some time over the last few weeks thinking about um, how when Jesus healed a crippled woman, it was on the Sabbath, And he was in a church, and basically they did their things according to their custom. And Jesus stepped out of their custom, and he called a woman forward, and he healed her. And they were very angry because he had healed her on a Sabbath, and their their tradition was God doesn't work apparently on the Sabbath. He doesn't do nice things on the Sabbath. In fact, they said to him, she can be healed any time, but not on the Sabbath. The reality was they'd never seen anybody healed. They were so busy with their religion. And so Jesus uh, experienced the wrath and experienced the rejection of the religious leaders. And almost everywhere he went, in fact, Paul had this as well, where everywhere he went, when he spoke of Jesus, when he declared goodness, when he healed people, there was a group of people that were always critical, were always rejecting, were always telling him to get out of town. If you want to deal with rejection, hang around Jesus because he's dealt with a lot of rejection. Everywhere he went, some loved him and some hated him. And so he was rejected there, and then he gave a teaching about the narrow door, and he said, there are many chosen, but few will enter. And he said, make every effort to go through the narrow door, because there will be that time when either death or the end of time comes, and and we're going to stand before God, and he's going to say, who are you? And you go, well, I went to church and I did this and that. And he said, I don't have a clue who you are. Because who he knows are those who have actually said, here am I. Thank you. Jesus does not recognize religion as a qualification. He only recognizes relationship. And there's part of what we're looking at this morning that is, um, it's kind of serious. And there's another part, it's all serious, but there's a part that we need to be afraid of. But there's also a a much bigger part that we just, he's asking us to respond to. 
And so in these, in these two passages, it's about, there's about rejection, Jesus being rejected, and then there's a point where uh, God says, I don't know you. And he just says, just heads up, that's, that's part of it. I am God. And we go, but how can God reject people? How can he? And he goes, I don't reject anyone. I do not, I do not reject anyone. And it's that backdrop that I want to look at this uh, account of Jesus when he weeps over the temple. Because it shows something about the heart of God. And it shows something about uh, the urgency and the seriousness of God. The Pharisees, they speak to Jesus and they say, get out of town because Herod wants to kill you. Herod wants to reject you. Herod is rejecting you. Leave this place and go somewhere else. Herod wants to kill you. And, and, and this is what Jesus replies. This is the away in a manger Jesus. This is the sweet and mild Jesus, gentle Jesus. Jesus loves me, this I know Jesus. You know the, the one we've managed to sanitize and put into Christmas into a chocolate box manger and say, there, there, I love Christmas. It's so nice. And Jesus must be nauseated and says, it's about as exciting as if on my 60th birthday, all you did was talk about when I was born. And Jesus says this. He says, go tell that fox. I will keep on driving out demons and healing people today and tomorrow. And on the third day, I'll reach my goal. In any case, I must press on today and tomorrow and the next day. For surely no prophet can die outside of Jerusalem. There was violent rejection all around Jesus from the time he was born. When he was born, babies were killed because Herod was scared that there was another king. There was rumors of the birth of a king. There was huge violence. And there is a reality that if you want to follow Jesus, you're going to have to come to terms with violence. You're going to have to come to terms uh, with rejection. You're going to have to come to terms with confrontation. Because his kingdom is not of this world. And when his kingdom comes into the world, there is violence. And so Jesus saw a lot of that. His best friend John was killed. He was beheaded because he challenged Herod. When he healed a man who was a demoniac, he was called the Gadarene demoniac. He was in, cha- he was in chains. He was totally obs- uh, demon-possessed, and Jesus set him free. And when he set him free, the people around him said, please leave, we're terrified of you. He went into a Samaritan village and they told him not to come there and he had to go to another place. And that's when the disciples said, shall we bring fire down upon them? And he said, no, you've got the wrong end of the stick here. Don't do that. We'll just move on to another place. And then finally, the violence of going to the cross where the Romans killed him because the Jews said, please do it on our behalf. He lived out the prophecy, which is in Isaiah 53. I'm trying to show you that uh, verse 32, that's not, there's not a verse 32 in there. It's verse 3. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised and we held him in low esteem. And his followers, Stephen was a martyr who was killed. Paul was eventually killed. Peter was killed upside down. All killed because they declared that Jesus is the Son of God and there is no other God like him. And Jesus responds to the battle because, you see, there is this battle goes on. He said to Herod, you're a fox. 
And he said, I'm going to carry on doing what I'm doing and you're going to have to deal with it. He took on one of the most violent men of his day. And he just said, I'm going to Jerusalem. And his disciples, in fact, everyone around were trying to talk him out of it. And if you think for a minute, Jesus is weak. Look at this passage. He said, I'm going there because he was on a mission. I must press on. What did he say? And tomorrow and on the third day, I'll reach my goal. He's also talking about the resurrection. How big is your God? What is he able to do? The question that I'm setting up is that Jesus came to this place where he looked out of Jerusalem and he said to them, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stones those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate. I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. I think it's one of the most powerful, poignant passages in the Bible. It's, it's speaking the heart of God who says, I long that you would come, but you would not. And now your house lies desolate, which is the temple. Luke wrote this in about AD 80. The temple was destroyed in AD 67, AD 70. I'm going to talk about the temple in a minute. The question I'm asking is, in the midst of all the conflict and all the uh, rejection, how does Jesus carry on? How does he stay strong? How does he stay true? When he's not popular by many people, and all the people who count would rather he were dead. In Psalm 91, it says this, Psalm 91, verse 4. And I'll tell you what else I'm setting up, and that is, uh, if you live from the outside in, you will always crumble under pressure. If you live uh, merely on the opinions of others, if you live on your emotions, if you live on your circumstances, and those are what determine your well-being, you will crumble every single time, or many times. What Jesus was demonstrating was a presence and a power that comes from within. And until you find that presence and power within, you will have no authority and you will have very little victory over life. You will live as somebody who's surviving. You will live as, live as somebody who blames everybody or circumstances or the government. Or you'll blame somebody. It won't be your fault. But blaming somebody else, as I discovered, doesn't change anything. Living the life of a victim, afraid and depressed, ends up being a solitary confinement. And that's where the enemy, and in this case the enemy, does just lock you up and say, right, live like that. But God, when he brings you alive on the inside, begins to reveal to you the truth of what you're dealing with. And therefore circumstances become challenges. Because you begin to know who you are on the inside. So if you speak, or Herod speaks, you go, Herod is speaking from a place of ignorance and darkness. He's not going to determine what I do. What Jesus had dealt with is that all Herod can do is kill me. There's a point where when you begin to settle, the worst thing that can happen to you, you actually become free.
Psalm 91, uh, whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. From the foulest snare and from the deadly pestilence, he will cover you with his feathers and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. He will cover you with his feathers and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. Jesus was able to take on Herod and was able to go to the cross with assurance because he lived in that place. You don't come to that place easily. You don't come to that place understanding what I'm saying in your head. You come to that place as you live it day by day, as we've been hearing in some of the testimonies, as you live it day by day. You don't come to that place on your own. If you go try and do it on your own, you will just get partial healing. I watch again and again people supporting each other where they're actually crippled themselves and they're living out of their crippledness. It doesn't work. It doesn't set you free. So Jesus spoke to Jerusalem and looked at that temple. If you stand on the Mount of Olives and you look over Jerusalem, you can see the whole place and they could have, he would have seen the temple. The temple was the most sacred place for Israel. I don't know what the equivalent is would be for us. It was the most sacred place. God dwelt there. And when he said to them, how I long that you would come to me, and then he said, your, 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 what does he say? He says, your house has left you desolate. He was prophesying as, he, uh, he, as happened. He was speaking about the destruction of the temple. The Jews could not imagine the temple being destroyed. It was the Holy of Holies. It was the place where God was present. And in AD 67 to 70, the Romans laid siege on, Rome, on Jerusalem and they destroyed the temple. Josephus is a historian. They said on the 10th of August in AD 70, in Jewish reckoning, the very day when the king of Babylon burned the temple in 586 BC, which was the first temple built by Solomon, Titus took the city and put it to the church, burning the temple. And Josephus says this, These Romans put the Jews to flight and proceeded as far as the holy house itself, at which time one of the soldiers, without staying for any orders and without any concern or dread upon him as, to, as so great an undertaking, and being hurried on by a certain divine fury, snatched some, somewhat out of the materials that were on fire, and being lifted up by another soldier, he set fire to a golden window through which there was a passage to the rooms that were around the holy house on the north side of it. As the flames went upward, the Jews made a great clamor, such as so mighty an affliction required, and ran together to prevent it. But now they spared not their lives any longer, nor suffered anything to restrain their force, since that holy house was perishing. That it, thus it was the holy house burnt down. No one can imagine anything greater or more terrible than this noise. For there was at once a shout from the Roman legions who were marching all together, and a sad clamor of the seditious who were now surrounded with fire and sword, the people under great consternation made sad moans at the calamity they were under. And basically the temple was destroyed. And Jerusalem was destroyed and the Jews were scattered for 2,000 years until 1948. If God can allow the destruction of the temple of the people he loves and the sacrifice of his son, he, can, he will watch anything destroyed. 
But his word is, I long that you would come to me. The destruction of the temple uh, was for a number of reasons. One of them was because Herod had commissioned the restoration of the temple. And they began it in uh, 20 BC. And it was finished in 67 AD. And God said, unless I build the house, you labor in vain. That temple was worked on by Herod for political reasons. And when it, three years after it was finally completed, it was destroyed. Because God will not have anybody do what he only commissions. Where does this whole hang together? The temple was destroyed because Jesus said in the third day, God will raise me up. I am the temple of the Holy Spirit. Where does God dwell now? He dwells among his people. Where does he dwell among his people? In their, their bodies, which are the temples of the Holy Spirit. You, if you say yes to Jesus, you contain the presence of the Lord. And if you contain the presence of the Lord, you also contain peace on earth. You could also contain power that, and presence that passes understanding to overcome anxiety and fear. But if it's locked up in here, it won't work. How I long that I could come to you. What does that mean? It doesn't mean how I long that you would believe in me. It doesn't mean how I long that you would hang around me. It doesn't mean how I long that you would give me your vote. It doesn't mean how I long that you would say, yes, you believe in God. It means how I long that you would allow me to be present in you, in your heart. And that your life would be so changed that your life would be an expression of the love of God because he lives in you and is visible through you. I'm not talking about perfection. I'm talking about beginning that journey. Do you understand what I'm saying? What Jesus was encountering over Jerusalem was he had not been welcomed in their heart. And one of the reasons, you know, I, I, I watch here every week. And it's often the people who most need Jesus who walk out halfway through the surface. They walk in and out and they, they don't encounter Jesus because they get distracted so much. I'm not speaking a rebuke. I'm merely just encouraging you to pay attention. As Lefty stood up and said, we spoke a word out and two people respond. And you go, there are moments where God is present and he says, I will do this. But there's a response required. This is not a, a negative. Uh, it's a principle. And so the question I ask and the question I believe God wants to ask us is, is there room for me, in you, at a greater capacity than you've ever allowed me to be? Can I be in you so that I actually flow through you because it's I who have the freedom? How I long that I could be with you. How long I long that I could flow through you. How I long that you would come to me. That you would live under the, my, my wing and know my peace and my joy in the midst of life. That you would know my peace and my joy even as I went to the cross and I demonstrated what that looked like. Even on the cross when I could say, Father, forgive them. 
It flowed out of me because it was in me. If it had been in my head, I would never have been able to say that. It flowed out of the essence of me because it had been already given to me. Am I making sense? It's about God in your heart, not in your head. It's about a Jesus who is welcome at the very depth of my being as much as I am able. And that is what will set us free. That is what will give us peace. Knowing about Jesus won't give you peace. Believing in Jesus won't give you peace. Knowing the love of the Father through Jesus in your heart will release peace, will release joy, will release hope. That's why Paul said, and I'm finishing with this, he says in Romans 7, we talk about the temple is like a fortress. And, and it, the Bible talks about living and abide in Jesus like a fortress. He is your fortress. He is your stronghold. That's what it means. And that's why in Romans 8, Paul is able to speak about this. It's, it's supernatural. He says in Romans 8, 28, we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him. It's because he's abiding under the wing of the Father and he's saying, whatever my circumstance, I'm trusting God with the outcome of this. So I'm, my trust in him is what gives me peace, not the chaos around me. That's why relationship is always so crucial. 37, in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. What is the remarkable testimony of Jesus? That in the midst of rejection, he does not reject. In the midst of rejection, he demonstrates peace and power and passion. In the midst of rejection, he does not behave like other human beings. It's because he lives close to the Father and he's safe with the Father and they're living through life in an extraordinary way. And that's, he also says in Matthew 11, My yoke is easy, my burden is light. As Jesus is welcome into my heart and life, he begins to be the bedrock of my life. If we were to read each other's minds, you'll have so many conditions on your happiness right now. If I could just get rid of this debt, if I could just get this uh, relationship sorted out, if I could just have this, if I could just get this education, if my wife would just behave, if my husband would smarten up, if I could have a husband, if I could have a wife, if I, my car wasn't bad, if, 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 if. And if you go back far enough, you will find that the very thing you were saying if this was worked out was the thing you had said you wanted so that you could have peace. The person you most ticked off with now was the one who was an answer to your prayer 10 years ago. That's <laughs> how it works. God is the only stable one where he starts saying, so how can I walk with you through this? Will you trust me with your possessions? Will you trust me with your life? Will you trust me with your disease? Will you trust me with your future? And I will give you a peace that passes understanding. And I will give you a sense of wholeness inside you that makes you amazed. And I will be your fortress and your stronghold. And I will bring you to a place where you will begin to say, I don't need that medication anymore. I don't say to people, throw it away. I just say, ask God to release you to the point where you go, I don't need to. For some, they will need stuff all their lives. I'm not speaking in a blanket statement. Don't mishear. But I know that one of the biggest things in our culture is anxiety and fear. And God wants to free us from that. So let's stand and bring it to him.
And you're standing as temples of the Holy Spirit. If you've asked Jesus into your life, if you haven't asked Jesus into your life, you can. You ask Jesus into your life by saying, thank you, Jesus, that you died on the cross for my sin. Thank you that you went to the cross for everything that was rebellious in me because I was one of those who said, you're not coming in here. I was one of those who you wept over and said, John, how I longed that you would come to me, but you would not. How I longed that you would come to me, but you would not. John Francois, could you just stand still, please? Thank you. I really encourage you to engage right now. God wants to release life into you. He is not angry with any person standing here. He's not even remotely angry. He's like a father who watches his son and his daughter struggle and he says, how I long that you would come. And he calls you by name. How I long that you would come to me, that you might have life and freedom and you might know who you are in a whole new way and that you would allow me to pour out my spirit in the very depth of you that you would know life in a way you've never known it before. Peace I give to you, not as the world gives. Joy I give to you. A sense of you will never be left alone. You will never be forgotten. You will never be cast out. And in the midst of your circumstances where you feel maybe there's very little hope or there's no control, let me deeper into the temple of your body and I will be with you in the midst of all of that. I will raise you up in ways you could never have done on your own. He just says, will you let me? You see, what he's saying is stop asking me for peace Stop asking me for joy. Stop asking me for freedom. As you let me into you, that will come. I am a God who is relational. And therefore, as I wept over Jerusalem because they wouldn't let me in, I can't help you if you won't let me in. So the relational is the key to the answers to the prayers. He has to be Lord. He has to be God. And one of the things that causes us to get stuck is we will not bow down before him. So he says, well, if you don't bow down, you haven't seen who I am and I can't help you. So, Lord, we pray your Holy Spirit just be poured out here right now and that you fill up each person who is opening their hearts to you and saying, here I am, Lord. You give God permission to do what he wants to do. And where there's any negative in you, Allow him to come and take hold of you and take that from you. So if you're feeling anxiety, receive his peace. It all comes with his presence. Receive from the Father's heart everything that would bring life into you. Don't make conditions on your circumstances. Allow it to come out of the relationship that you have. If you don't know how to have the relationship, then just tell him, Lord, I want to know. I want to learn. Thank you, Father. So speak over this body. Freedom from anxiety. Freedom from depression. Freedom from fear of the future. Freedom from a sense of hopelessness. I break that in the name of Jesus. And I release the peace of Jesus into this body. The peace of Jesus that passes understanding. The love of the Father that tells you that you are precious, that you have a future. And that he holds you in his hand and he loves you with an abiding love. And we bring all sickness and pain to Jesus right now. And where there's disease present here, just place your hand on your heart and say, Jesus, I just receive your healing. And I speak to that, that sickness in the name of Jesus. And we just 
break it over, over you in the name of Jesus because he is Lord and King. And where he is present, there is healing on his wings. And so, Father, we just thank you for your healing presence and we release healing wherever it's needed, in whatever form it's needed, in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. We're going to break bread together.